Welcome to A Runner's Life Podcast. In this episode, I will be in conversation with Alison Desir. This conversation was sparked by the tragic death of Ahmad Aubrey at the hands of two white men who are doing what we all love to do, going for a run. Alison wrote a great article, the link is in the show notes, and it's titled Ahmad Aubrey and Whiteness in the Running World, and it was published for Outside Magazine. In this episode, we were talking about the divisions of race within the running community, and Alison explains the complexities, challenges, and what this situation brings to the fore. We discuss the next steps that we can all take together to promote inclusivity for all runners. If something resonates with you, please share online and leave a rating. Thank you for downloading this episode. Your support helps make this podcast possible. Hi, Alison. Welcome to A Runner's Life podcast. Thank you for coming on the show. It's been a whirlwind of a fortnight. How are you getting on? I'm okay. Thank you for having me. I'm, um, it has been a wild couple of days, but I'm excited to be speaking with you. Uh, I came across your um, profile after reading uh, your article titled Ahmad Albury and the Whiteness in the Running World, uh, which was published on the Outside Magazine. It resonated with me, and I'm just grateful that we can have this conversation and discuss it further. Yeah, uh, yeah. First things first, um, it's been a unique time, firstly with COVID-19, and it's changed just the way our lives are at the moment. It's created a lot of uncertainty because it's a threat that isn't overtly visible, which has caused a lot of anxiety. Um, and in right. your recent article, you talked about another covert uh, threat that doesn't get as much coverage as COVID-19, but still equally as dangerous, uh, which is the division within the running community by race. For you, what does covert racism look like in 2020? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I, I think that um, in many ways, uh, being PC and this adoption of quote unquote color blindness is um, just as insidious as overt forms of racism, right? Because uh, I think that what you see is that there are a lot of well-meaning white people who really have no understanding of race and racism in part their own fault, because that's literally how the United States and then the world um, that's it's, it's rooted in white supremacy, but there's also obviously a huge piece of personal responsibility there. And many white folks don't have to grapple with their sense of identity, their sense of race, and therefore have the privilege of pretending as though it doesn't exist, of getting really um, uh, anxious around conversations about race. Robin D'Angelo in her book, White Fragility, refers to that whole series of emotions that comes up for white people as, as white fragility. And so it becomes really difficult, particularly in a case like this, where now it's been, um, I mean, it's, it's been over two months, but it's, it's been uh, over a, a week since the footage of his uh, murder has, was released. And there's some additional footage of Ahmad um, peeking in on a construction site. And suddenly that action, his you know, trespassing, is being used as an excuse for why he was hunted down and he should not have been aggressive to a person with a gun, otherwise he'd still be alive, right? So it's like, it's all so uh, muddled and nuanced and complex because we're so afraid. And, and so I say we as a collective we, not me personally, but because people are so afraid and so inexperienced in talking about race and moving through the emotions that come up. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think a lot of people don't really know how to talk about it. And when I speak to some of my white friends about it, they will basically say to me, you know, 
we feel uncomfortable talking about race and you know sometimes it's not um for anything you know deep and meaningful it's just because they just don't want to say the wrong thing i mean what steps do you think that the running community can take to move beyond those initial feelings of discomfort so we can have you know an open conversation about it yeah I mean, first of all, I want to say that, yes, talking about race is uncomfortable, right? But not talking about race is deadly, has deadly results, right? And I know that many people have a fear of saying the wrong thing, but the reality is we all at some point are going to say the wrong thing related to something. And the silence and the apathy around it just makes our lives as black and brown folks more difficult. So, you know, if in having these conversations, I would say to white people who feel uncomfortable, don't start by broadcasting your opinions on social media, maybe, right? Like it starts with conversations with people who you trust and who you love and who love you back and who will be more forgiving about those mistakes. Because truth be told, there is a lot of, you know, there's histories of built up resentment. And so many people will be angry when you make a mistake, but you, you cannot let that stop you. And that's sort of why in my op-ed piece, I referred people to White Fragility and another book, White Supremacy and Me, because um, there are tools out there that, that can help you strengthen your ego in going through this process so that you don't get stuck in like feeling bad and feeling guilty and feeling overwhelmed. You realize there is work that I can actually do on myself and then I can um, be anti-racist day to day. And I know a follow-up question would be like, what does that look like, right? And it means being aware of your privilege, speaking to folks who say things that are racist or inappropriate, you know, uh, questioning why everybody in the room is white in certain spaces and amplifying the voices of those who aren't in those spaces. So it, it's, it's work and that's, that's what makes it hard you've you've hit the nail on the head i think it's hard work and it's uncomfortable um but mm -hmm. i think back to a moment in history where we've got you know in south africa post apartheid there was the truth and reconciliation commission mm -hmm. um which for those that don't know about it um basically gave both sides uh the the chance to give their accounts and basically the perpetrators of violence uh, could give a testimony and request amnesty and both like civil criminal prosecution uh, so I'm just sort of thinking wider than sport and a community-wise, community sort of stage sort of thing. Um, what sort of measures do you think could help all sides have like more of a constructive conversation? Mm -hmm. Man, I love, I love that you brought that in. That's like such a genius question because I think much of what we're experiencing now today is that... Um, I can speak from my experiences, you know, uh, in the United States, um, but certainly all over the world. In the United States, we've never reconciled our history, the way that this country was founded. We never reconciled, you know, slavery, um, Jim Crow, um, all of these larger historical moments. We've never, we've never really had a forum to talk about them. And the mental health counselors of, in me knows that it's really important for any and everyone to have a space to share their opinion, to share their pain, their struggle, to be heard and understood. That doesn't mean that you won't be challenged, right? Because just because you believe something doesn't mean that it's true.
but I think it would be really important in the broader context, exactly what you say, like what are ways in which we can set up these truth and reconciliation commissions? You mentioned South Africa. This was also true in, uh, man, I want to say Rwanda, as I'm saying this now, of course, the country went right out of my head, but there must be a space to have open conversation, um, diversity of ideas, diversity of opinion, so that we can put it out there and know what we're really facing, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I just I think that's so brilliant. I and think, this yeah, can happen like also say, on a smaller level, like in the running community, right? But yeah, go on. Yeah. No, I agree. I think these sort of conversations just need to happen, really, and mm-hmm. without kind of judgment or fear, saying the wrong thing. And like you said, there's a lot of things that have been repressed or not said for a long period of time that we just assume have been dealt with but haven't been dealt with um Mm -hmm. and for example when when i read your article i mean the opening of it really got me because you spoke about the experience of your son um and Mm -hmm. and having to have that conversation with him about race further on and as a father of two kids myself i look at them and it kind of it's so painful to think about Mm -hmm. when i'll have to have that conversation with them um Mm -hmm. and the sort of the the challenge that I have is that I don't want to be too heavy and bring my own baggage mm. into the conversation. I want them to be open-minded, uh, but to be aware. So I guess this question really has two parts. Firstly, as a black person, what should you be saying to your kids about race? And also mm-hmm. as a, a white person, what should you be saying to your kids about race also? Yeah. You know, I, um, I want to give this little story and hopefully I don't forget get the question I may have to ask you to say it again but I think about when I was in high school and I was in Spanish class of all places right so I'm half Colombian half Haitian I grew up speaking only English a lot of that has to do with the racism that my parents faced when they came to this country anyway so that's why I find found myself in Spanish class in high school not knowing the language fluently but so I remember having a conversation with my professor and we were talking about we made the analogy of like um or I made the analogy of well, when I'm crossing the street, like, I'd like to know that cars can hit me, right? Like, I don't want to walk blindly into the street and be like, oh, my God, there's a car. Oh, my God, there's a biker. I can get hurt. I'd rather know what the possibilities are so I can face them head on. So all of that to say, like, when I think about talking to my son, I think about, um, I mean, I don't know, like, because this conversation would have to start really young because you think about Tamir Rice being 12 years old on the playground just making him aware of the ways in which I see him, right? I see him as like the the most amazing human being on the planet with all this potential. Um, but other people are going to see him and feel threatened by his brilliance. And so what does that mean? That means that in, in some cases, you're going to have to shrink yourself. And that feels really painful for me to have to like share it. And I don't know what words I'll use, but um, I also think about another uh unarmed black man who was killed um, just last Friday and he was in a speed chase with the police. Stupid? Absolutely. Did it mean that he should get shot 11 times? No. Right? Like, so it's like trying to build up their confidence and their understanding of their history and who they are and how powerful that is. But because of certain systems in place, you know, this is how it's a life-saving technique for white folks it's a similar conversation in sharing that because of how they look like you're also a brilliant, amazing human being, but because of the way you look, you're going to get certain advantages and you're going to be treated in ways that are, that 
you don't deserve any more than the next person, right? What are the ways yeah. that you can be critical about that? What are the ways that you can look out for other folks and see, wait, but they're not being treated that way. And what are the ways that you can speak out and amplify the voices you know, help your friends out if you and I'm talking now thinking of like a five year old little white kid. Right. You know, if, if you're being treated differently, can you think about why that might be right? Like we all deserve to be treated equally. And the idea is like, unfortunately, for black and brown folks, the conversation is about shrinking yourself for white folks. It's about how you can do the work so that we no longer have to shrink ourselves. Um, and I would say it's like completely negligent for any parent to not have these conversations. No, I agree. I think they're so important to have because if you don't have them, you know, it just perpetuates the current situation that we're in and just repeats mm -hmm. the history. And that's not what you, you want to happen. Um, exactly. In the article, you also noted that um, upon hearing of the murder of Ahmad, um, that you could um, see your son. And imagine that many black people reading it could also relate to that in terms of seeing themselves or the family or the friends in that situation. But for balance, if you put that to one side, from someone from the outside looking in, they'd say, why are you attaching meaning to this event when you weren't directly involved in it? So can you explain why to someone on the outside, like why this experience is such a personal trigger for so many black people or brown people? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can I can do my best and say that um, the truth is that the everything that happens in in the world right now must in must be viewed through the lens of white supremacy through the lens of patriarchy through the lens of uh, transphobia right like these are the large systems that govern uh, unspoken that exists in the world right so what that means is that whether i'm intentionally or unintentionally doing this or whether I'm it's in my consciousness or not that I am always confronted with white supremacy so in my article I said that too I said like whether it's a white man being hunted down or whether it's like the silence of the media or whether it's even when I look in the mirror and I think about I project white standards of beauty onto myself right whether it's like oh I wish my hair were straighter or I wish my butt were smaller and and you know like obviously there's some um there's there's some differences in, in body type amongst race right but like the white standard of beauty we, is a particular thing so all that to say is like these are large systems and, and, and things much larger than ourselves that are that we're always confronting that are always in in our in our face so when you look like when you look at uh an interaction between Ahmad Arbery and uh I, I didn't care to learn their names the the two guys who hunted him down that is within the context of being in a racist world where white supremacy is rampant, right? So yeah. I think for anybody to say otherwise is really inauthentic and is really just um, evidence of their lack of racial identity development, right? Like they haven't yet really had to grapple with these ideas and that's okay, but now there's work to be done. So um, yeah, the personal is political, even the choices that we make, like simple things like when we purchase fruit, right? Right. We're buying, we have the luxury of going to Whole Foods and you can buy avocados from Haiti, right? That, that is a political decision. Like how did those avocados end up there? Right? Like there was, there were, there are folks somewhere in Haiti in a farm who are being underpaid, right? And then those 
couple of cents for their avocado and then they end up in Whole Foods for $4.99, right? So it's just sort of a, a an awakening that we that we have to have where we understand how everything is political. Yeah, I think that you're right. There's so much tangled into it in terms of like how you grow up and how you kind of downplay things. And I, I was thinking back to experience actually when I was in Egypt years ago and I was speaking to a gentleman and he was basically saying that even there that the lighter Africans were treated more favorably than the darker Africans and and even when you go into kind of Europe and where I'm in UK and stuff like that I mean there's even occurrences of you know people black people trying to lighten their skin you know try, yep. to try to appear less less blacks mm-hmm. and more white um so mm-hmm. I mean that's just it's it's just the generational it's kind of just like you know just ingrained almost and that kind of goes on to my next point, really. Um, Ahmad's mental health was used as justification for why he was shot. And oh, for everyone that knows, this was clearly wrong and had nothing to do with what actually happened when you look at the video, for example. Um, looking widely, why do you think there's so many sort of mental health challenges within the black community? Mm-hmm. So the thing is, like, this is, again, uh, something that requires a lot of nuance, right? Because I think that um, mental health, is um and i'm gonna try to think this through to 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 make sure i get my point across but mental health is the way that the media uses mental health is pernicious and is not consistent right so in this case ahmad's mental health was used as a reason as an excuse for why he did like how for his aggression and how he essentially caused his own murder right um but then you look at when um, a young white male shoots up a church, right? And the mental, his mental health issue is used to soften it and say, well, he was struggling from mental health issues, right? So we use, the, we use mental health, which I do believe that lots of folks suffer from mental health issues. But the way that we use that as a quote-unquote excuse is not attributed equally across races. That being said, there are huge challenges around mental health in black and brown communities. Some of it, a lot of it has to do with stigma. A lot of it has to do the ways in which historically black and brown folks have been used um, as test subjects for medicine, right? Like whether it's like the syphilis experiments um, in the United States or the ways that uh, Guatemalan women were uh, sterilized um, to test um, birth control, right? So there's like a there's a there's a stigma around showing this sort of quote unquote weakness, and then there's a history that shows that people in white coats will do things to you without consent that could hurt you, um, and just like the universal like mental health issues are really tough. Like it's tough to talk about. So. There's just like so many layers and I don't even know all of them, but that's what's really frustrating when you do. And I'm, I'm so thankful for the way that you're asking these questions. But when you get into conversations and people like throw out these things, it's like a lot of work to unpack, you know? Yeah, I think you are. I mean, mental health affects everyone. Everyone's got mental health and physical health. And I just sort mm-hmm. of think back to my own experience when I think about mental health and some experiences that I've had and when I sat down and looked at it um I could look at my parents and uh, what they went through and then I sat back and I looked at what my grandmother went through 
and what my great grandmother went through. And then you sort of see the effect that it gets passed down generations, past generations, past generations. And I was realizing that I was actually holding beliefs that had nothing to do with me. You know what I mean? Like, for example, when I was a kid, I was told that to go anywhere, I needed to be, you know, X amount of times better than my white competitors because you're black and you're going to be at a disadvantage. So I really grew up with a chip on my shoulder knowing that I wasn't seen as good enough or I wasn't good enough or I needed to do more. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, some time that I actually realized, well, that's actually not true, uh, you know, with a reason. But um, it's just interesting. I think a lot of it can be passed down generationally. And um, I just think whether, you know, you live in a certain type of community, do you know what I mean? And that's passed on it's hard to sort yeah. of you know just break out there i mean there are sort of people like you say like jay-z for example so people that can just break out and just go and do amazing things but it's not like that for everyone right and that's why there's like there's so much nuance in this conversation right because like i just said yeah. how i would be how it's important to have these conversations with young folks white and black and you know black brown whatever um but then on the other hand you also don't want uh, a situation where there's intergenerational trauma, right? Where you find yourself yeah. holding on to these scripts that have nothing to do with you. So, I mean, is there any job harder than being a parent? I don't know, <laughs> but it's like, um, you don't know like what baggage, how much of this is, like you said earlier, what part of this is baggage? What part of it is an awareness of like, don't get hit by cars when you cross the street. So it's like, you know, it's, it's a really difficult job and that's why this is so difficult, but you know, um we keep trying i i'm so i'm glad that you brought that piece in i think i agree with you i think parents you don't realize how difficult parent is until you become a parent and then you've got so much respect for your parents mm -hmm. because you realize you know <laughs> they were trying to figure out as they were going along as well so uh there's no guidebook <laughs> day one no. july <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. And I'm uh, like, if I have another one, I'm like, oh my God, I'll be so much better at this one thing, but not everything else, you know? <laughs> uh, and they're like completely different personalities. You're just like, I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. need another book. <laughs> <laughs> so true. But we try our best. Um, now, your article highlighted um, the silence within the wider running community. Um, and even in the UK, I noticed that how few, you know, the 2.23 run was, was used by influencers or even mentioned in like wider media outlets. Um, mm -hmm. And there was one actually, I won't name who it was. And I contacted them. I said, look, I don't think you sort of um, report on this responsibly enough. Um, and mm -hmm. the credit and they responded back and said, like, they apologize and they're going to look, take steps to see how they can um, improve, improve moving forward. But but then I stepped back and I looked at their their Instagram and I looked at a similar posts and I actually noticed that other posts got more comments and more likes. So I was thinking, well, it's not just the media, it's it's the people that are receiving it. They're not interested into it. So I guess, mm. I guess with this being the case, I mean, even though it's not like a popular thing to talk about, how can the wider media better support this conversation? Yeah. Well, it's really difficult, and I'm not immune to this at all, is that, like, social media has become a place of validation for, like, your ego, right? So, like, yeah. what gets likes, what gets posts, what gets conversation going, 
also it's like a lot of labor to post about everything. So to what extent, which is why my, you know, I was, I, I was upset at the, um, I mean, I remain upset at the silence of the wider running community, but I was really thinking about the ways that journalists, like it is literally their job <laughs> to have to find, uncover these stories and bring it to our attention that they, that they were silent. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like it's tough. And, and then is it just like somebody drops a hashtag and then the work is done? Like we can never really know what goes on b- behind the little boxes. And that's why I, I really think like these conversations are important. And um, when we put together that truth and reconciliation, uh, you know, situation, but, but letting people know that like, if you don't have the right words right now, like that's okay. Like, I often don't have the right words. I think in this moment, I felt like a unique sense of action because of my son. And even then I still don't have all the words or the knowledge, but um, we got to like push each other, you know? And when you ask these questions, if somebody says, well, I didn't feel emotionally ready to tackle this on the platform because it just happens too often, right? Like I can respect that, you know? Yeah, I can completely agree with that. And I mean, what you've just said there kind of makes me think of my own sort of situation as well. Um, I'm sort of trying to process it all and I'm sort of struggling with how do I use my platform? Do I stand up? Do I speak? Do I shrink and just talk about basic stuff, shoes, training, how hard running is or not? <laughs> and I think in some aspects, you know, I'm overcomplicating it. It's as simple, just use what you have and start where you are um mm-hmm. however i want to you know have open conversations but then i'm also aware that i don't want to bring my own baggage into it and come across as mm-hmm. defensive or accusing to people that are just generally curious so i'm just mm-hmm. trying to think what is the best way really to sort of for someone like me to like use my platform to just continue having inclusive and progressive conversations about the division race yeah well, Marcus, first, I want you to have some empathy for yourself because you are doing a lot, right? And there's always more that we could be doing. But um, the truth is, like, there is this is an imperfect process. So will you come off as defensive sometimes? Like, certainly, right? And I think about when I was, like, my emotions have gone up and down in response to this and just, you know, the other world tragedies. And sometimes when somebody, like, somebody reached out to me via DM and asked how they can help, and I was like, read the books, do the work, right? Like, and that's how I was feeling in that moment. And then another person might ask and I'll say, oh, like here, this is a great Instagram account. This is a great book. This is blah, blah, blah. So it's like, I mean, we're people. So I think that to the extent that you feel you can carry this burden, um, I think highlighting other folks, I think even your voice and and you you said like just, and I, I think it's, it's bigger than that. Like, just talking about sneakers well now you're inserting yourself in a world where largely the people talking about shoe sneakers are white people right like when I open up magazines and they're sharing voices of critics and stuff they're not a lot of black and brown folks so I just think that there's like there's many different roles and there's many many different ways you can go at it and I would hate to be prescriptive I think it's about like doing like back to what you said right like doing what you can and and checking in and seeing like can I take more of a risk and um and and feel like good about that and 
like it's it's getting the work done that I that I hope to achieve. I, I think it goes back to what you said as well. Thank you for that. Um, when you just yeah. talked about your your son and fulfilling that almost like a catalyst, and I think probably I should give more context to it because when I did start my profile, it was before I had kids, and mm. now I've got kids. I feel I'm a different person in terms of. Uh, you just you see things differently and you want them to be you you, you also want to do the best for them so i think this is what's kind of totally, the same sort yeah. of thing as you yeah. it's prompted it yep yep no and i get that i get that it's like we got we're like we have to leave the world better <laughs> like otherwise yeah. it's so selfish that we had them right yeah exactly exactly i think you know parenting is just like it's like watching your arm isn't it just like or a part of your body just like detach from you it just like exists in another <laughs> part of the world yes, it just like yes. don't it's so hard because you don't want them to like suffer but you know that they're gonna have to suffer and you're gonna have to like step back and just just be there totally. <laughs> and that's totally. the hardest and, like, thing his, I mean, my son's only 10 months but he's like seeking his independence and i'm like no yeah. but then i'm also like i need like a really self-assured kid like he needs to be able to yeah. do his own stuff so yeah <sighs> yeah exactly the, the the joys of parenting isn't it <laughs> um, nobody told me this <laughs> exactly it wasn't in the book um no. so <laughs> one thing i found quite interesting that you said recently in another interview was that um, as a black runner you've got this sort of duality on one hand you know that running is good for your mental and physical health but on the other hand there's a fear for your own safety i mean how do you manage this juxtaposition before you go running yeah, yeah. You know, and I, um, I'm glad you asked because I think like when that question was posed to me, I actually like the question upset me because I was like, it was sort of to imply that we couldn't enjoy, like we couldn't possibly enjoy the outdoors because our lives are so tough. And that's not yeah. what I was trying to convey, right? Like the outdoors are beautiful, amazing. I love running. I love hiking. I love all of that stuff. I learned how to stand up paddleboard. I love all of that. You, but there, I'm also aware of the danger that I could potentially fall into for no fault of my own, right? And I think about how, like, recently, I, I, my husband and I, and well, my whole family, my husband, my son, and I, we were driving, and um, so when I get in a car, and I, and this will be an analogy, when I get in a car and I start driving, I'm not thinking about being pulled over by a cop and being shot to death, right? But we were yeah. driving along, and we got pulled over. And I was like, oh, my God, I could die right now, you know, like. Yeah. And so that's sort of what it is. Like, there are moments of um, like, it's sort of always in the back of your mind. You know, the possibilities, like if it gets dark, I'm like, OK, I got to get home. So but I don't want to take away from the fact that like we like I love the outdoors. There's it's just my love of the outdoors is what makes me um, have these conversations because we deserve to be there without thinking of our safety. No, thank you for clearing that up because I feel exactly the same way. I mean, I don't get out the door thinking and fearing for my, my safety. I generally go out because I enjoy running. It, might, it reminds me of being a kid again. Just, is that Also, it's a way to express yourself and just think things through. Um, but mm -hmm. when this happened, it does sort of bring back, it sort of snaps you out of that unconscious, subconscious exactly. thing that you, you've been in. You're like, well, I need to think about this um yeah. and then even going into that it, it, moving forward i mean 
we think about you know biases within running so for example some people black runners and brown runners are very conscious about the decisions that they wear um, in terms of their clothing when they're going running so they might not specifically they might be wearing like a race that they entered like a top or bright clothing Mm -hmm. just to look like a runner quote unquote Mm -hmm. um so they say they don't stand out as not if you're running you look you look like you're actually running because you're a runner rather than running away from something um and even like now i even think about with the covid19 situation with the mask and things like that i think Mm -hmm. as a black guy there's no way i'm running with a mask on if I'm wearing dark clothes or whatever and I have to think about that and it's just like do I yep. put my safety to one yep. side or what I mean how do you sort of manage this sort of process and like what steps do you do for your own safety yeah yeah so I think um like thankfully I'm not a tall black man because I think that I would have to think uh very even more strategically because like size and blackness are like two of the most feared things in combination right yeah. but yeah. what i like what i think about is uh, i think a lot about like can i go outside in a sports bra um can i are my shorts too short and this is where like i've also talked a lot about intersectionality right because i am a woman and i'm, I'm a black woman and so those things create the experience that i have so like do i don't want to wear things that are too tight Um, I don't want to go, I don't want to go down routes that are, um, that are less trafficked. Um, so those are the things that I think about. I, I, am now in the habit of always, um, doing the little like safety feature so that my husband can track me when I'm running. Um, and the, the coronavirus has definitely made me think about the mask. And so I, again, an intersecting identity, I think about how I'm hopeful that because, I can, I know how to deescalate and like, I can talk a certain way. Maybe that will help me, you know, but, um, but again, all of this within the context of like, man, I, it's a beautiful day. Like I really want to get outside today, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess in terms of safety, when you talked about tracking, I guess like things like Garmin live track or those sort of things or stuff on your phone as well. Yeah. There's so many things that you can do to to people to, to sort of keep track of you as well. Um, and but it's like just it's from, like an imperfect thing, right? Because yeah. it's like it's putting the impetus on you rather that's why I think it's like it, you have to come at it from both ends. Like you gotta have like all the trackers and the alarms and this and that. And then you gotta have people like stop wanting to kill you <laughs> when you're just <laughs> running, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean we joke about it, but I mean I think the shocking right. thing about right. his murder was Ahmad's murder was that it happened in daylight in a regular neighborhood, which you'd assume would be safe not in the evening or a less traveled road or in the early hours in the morning we assume effect would be on the surface I mean look like a safe time to run um so for black runners brown runners um or those that feel a threat I mean currently and those that basically feel like a heightened sense of being unsafe right now I mean what advice would you give to them right now I mean I would, I would validate them, right? Because the worst thing is to say, like, don't worry about it. You'll be okay. I mean, we don't know, right? And so I think, like, these, I had these conversations even before this, the Ahmaud Arbery murder, um, with people who were feeling, black and brown folks who were feeling really scared of just being outside in general because of the way that the police in New York were, um, you know, beating up folks in Brooklyn but then allowing folks in 
in Chelsea, in downtown Manhattan, white folks. And I should, yeah, I should clarify. So beating up black people in Brooklyn uh, for not social distancing and then not having any kind of reaction to people, white people in Chelsea having picnics. So there was already like there were friends of mine who were like, you know what? I'm not even going to run through this epidemic. Like, I'm just going to be inside. And so, you know, that's a perfectly reasonable response. Like, I don't think that person's being paranoid. I don't think that person's overreacting. I think that it's just you do what you can. Like, who's to say? I, I don't think, like, the other side of it is that, knock on wood, not all of us are going to be shot dead running, right? So um, yeah. there is a, a, a chance that you're going to have a lovely run every single day. But I don't blame folks. Like, I, I don't want to um, negate that feeling. And I think people should feel what they're feeling and, 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 and try to make the de- best decisions for themselves. And that's it's a different thing every day. One thing that helps me is being as present in the moment as I can. Mindfulness, right? Like, when I'm running, I try to think about, like, what am I seeing? What am I smelling? What am I feeling? What are my thoughts? Like, ground myself in the moment rather than, like, the what ifs and what could happen next. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you so for sharing. I think it's so important just to, you know, appreciate where you are and just sit with it rather than just trying to wish it away or trying to be somewhere mm-hmm. else. You, you, what you think mm-hmm. is what you think. You can't escape it. As I said, it will just come back. So I think you've just got to process those those feelings. And mm-hmm. I'm just thinking post, you know, the 2.23 run, um, yeah. what are the next steps that the running community need to take? So you know, Amara's memory doesn't get forgotten. Yeah. So I will start by saying one thing that the running community should not do. And it's something that has already happened to me and is approach people of color and ask them to spearhead like coalitions or um, initiatives around this because, and I'm saying that like white folks have reached out to me and asked to spearhead coalitions and the answer is no. <laughs> like, I think that this is not a moment for you to impose more work on people who are being oppressed. That being said, I think that there needs that there needs to first like the individual work, which I describe as really unsexy of like reading and personal development and thinking about how you benefit from privilege and how you want to do the work to um, to upend that right? The, the, the active work of anti-racism. So I think that's like on an individual level. And then I think that groups that are, um, you know, that have white leadership or that have been silent on matters like this, I think it's really time to have group-wide internal conversations and then reach out to build coalitions with other folks, right? Because I'm not, um, I feel like, I, like I've done a lot of work on this, I'm not going to lead a coalition where I'm just like teaching you. Like that's exhausting, you know? I want you to have done your work and to come to me and be like this is let's work in collaboration and then I'm like, "Yo, I'm game," you know? Um so all that to say there's individual work, there's work within the the individual the the groups themselves and then there are these larger conversations. I would love if um if you know, organizations like New York Roadrunners here in, in New York, I don't know if like um, what the equivalent would be in the UK, but have these, maybe set up these tough conversations that have mental health counselors, therapists as moderators where we can, you know, sort of 
attempt a, some kind of truth and reconciliation around this, air our feelings. And, and the, so the next step is like, is then is like the policy stuff. Like, okay, so then what are we actually going to do? You know? Yeah. It's just so obvious, really. This, the first step is to talk it through, really, to have those open conversations. Um, and it's just like those barriers. You think, why are they there? It's like it's like you sort of saying that. Go, do you want to spearhead it, spearhead it? But then it's like take a responsibility away from from them by putting it onto you. And it's like right. you can say to someone, what's it like being black? Well, how can you answer? I've been black my whole life. I don't know any different. <laughs> so exactly. how you want me to give you? <laughs> exactly. And like the thing so, is that it almost feels like inaction to tell somebody to like read and think and and talk but that's i mean if you don't have an awareness then how can you even like the how can you even do anything further and that's where people like the like where you can stay in this fear of not knowing what to say or having the right thing to say well because you haven't even explored it you know Uh, for sure um thank you for that so i i want to move on to some of the great things that you've done as well you've done so okay. much for the running community uh i mean you started various groups from han run run for women for example um can you explain why you started these groups and like what your vision is and what you hope to accomplish by doing it yeah yeah so i started harlem run now close to eight years ago um i had been going through a period of depression and you know wasn't leaving my house was uh, really anxious overdosing on pills like just in a really dark place and I just so happened to see a friend of mine who was training for a marathon and he was a black guy right so in my mind I was like um the only black people who run marathons are East Africans like what is this guy doing (laughs) and so but lo and behold he was crushing it and it was changing transforming his life and so in my like really low place I thought to myself let me let me try this insane thing let me try to run a marathon and it really had a a powerful impact on my life. I like it got me out of the house. It got me um, all those beautiful things that come with running around mental health. Um, it got me looking into like counseling, and that's what I went back to school to get my master's in mental health counseling because I was like, whoa, like the connections between mental and physical are so powerful. Um, I want to be involved in this work. And I ran my first marathon, raised five thousand dollars for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and I was like the one thing that I want is for more, for there be more people who look like me crossing the finish line. So I started Harlem Run with that. Like, I want this to be for people who have mental health struggles, who need a release, who need community. And it, it just, I think because of that vulnerable, like authentic place, it just, within a year, there were like over a hundred of us running. And um, so what brings Harlem Run together, it's like, it's all, it's, it's the leadership is mostly black and brown. We are in Harlem, historically black neighborhood, like awesome center of the world in my mind. (laughs) Um, But all kinds of folks come out. Um, We try to have, not try, we have really tough discussions. We um, put ourselves out there on social media and there's still more that we can do. Um, Run for All Women sort of was born out of Harlem Run. And when I organized a run from Harlem to Washington, D.C., which is 250 miles for the Women's March after the uh, the most recent election. And it, it, it grew into its own entity uh, that uses uh, fitness to empower women. 
So lots of people saw what we did in that initial run, raising over $100,000 for Planned Parenthood, and we're really excited by this idea of running for social change. Um, so that's that organization. And in each thing that I do, um, it really is the support of like the leadership and, and so many folks. Like I, I do, I am like a vision person and a doer. And then I'm like, all right, I got to bring everybody in. Like who's going to, who, how are we going to make this happen together? You know? Yeah. It sounded like obviously you were in a quite a tough situation. And the irony is that by helping other people be the best versus themselves helped you. At the same yeah, time. I, yeah. I mean, you could look at it as like, sometimes I'm like, I'm so selfless, selfless. And then I'm like, I'm so selfish, right? Because like, <laughs> I do get so much joy out of this stuff. And yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think that that's, that's fair enough to be honest. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I do this podcast, because I love speaking to people about running and right? life and I get so many good ideas. I'm like, oh, okay, well now I've learned a lesson that didn't, didn't like, take me like two years to learn. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> so it helps. Uh, it's been great talking to you I've got a couple final questions before I wrap up sure um, what is one non-negotiable behaviour that you do daily huh. oh my god the hard hitters at the end Marcus <laughs> <laughs> um... I thought the race ones were the tougher ones for this <laughs> You know, like, it's hard to say because my world has been so disrupted since giving birth so yeah. um, but traditionally or pre Corey, I would, I would, I would take like a few minutes of mindfulness. And like, sometimes that was like just two minutes, but like sitting intentionally grounding myself and um, being mindful. But uh, I mean, you know how it is. So right now I, I can't, I can't even say that there's a non-negotiable. It's, I mean, yeah, working on it. It's tough when you've got so many sort of plates as sort of spin as a parent and sometimes just the plates yeah. just drop. So <laughs> it is what it exactly. is. Exactly. Sometimes it's 5 p.m. and I'm like, have I eaten? So, yeah. you know, yeah. working on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, what's the biggest lesson that running has taught you? Mm, the biggest lesson is, which is sort of funny because running is a individual sport, but is the power of community. And... I'm sorry, I'm making these like long form questions when they're probably short ones. But that is also why, like, even in the most recent, um, my most re my response to Ahmad Arbery, I'm like, I'm so invested in this community. And yep. um, there, there's division, there, but there's also beautiful things across the community. Like, I'm really passionate about that. So yeah, the power of community. Amazing. And finally, where can people follow your journey online? Yay! So my website is Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N, M as in Mary, Desir, D as in David, E, S as in Sam, I-R.com. And my Instagram is the same thing, Allison M. Desir. My Twitter is that as well. And you'll find on, the, on my website, um, I'm launching a tour. It's called the Meaning Through Movement Tour. And it's focused on bringing the, com elevating the conversation around mental health. So it's completely free. It's virtual thanks to COVID-19, but also means so many more people can check it out. The first bonus session, it was set to start May 30th, but due to all of this important conversation that's come up, um, May 23rd is a bonus session where I'll be talking about allyship. So meaningthroughmovement.com, T-H-R-U, sign up for all the sessions. They're all free. 
and I'm really excited for what will come out of that. I'm definitely going to sign up to that. Thank you for sharing that. It's been Ooh. great talking to you. Yes, I hope we meet in person someday. I hope so. I mean, I've run in New York a couple of times for the marathon, so when uh, when I'm back, when it's safe to travel, we'll definitely like to sort of catch up and catch some miles with you. Would love that. Thank you. Alison, thank you for the conversation and for sharing your experience. And I think it's just a good starter for people to start thinking about, you know, the current situation that we find ourselves in and just to have those conversations that matter. Um, I hope that this uh, episode has resonated with you. And, you know, the point is really just to keep these conversations going um, because, you know, we're all people at the end of the day and, you know, we've got more that actually unites us and divides us. So, let's keep the conversation going Um, if you've enjoyed this conversation please leave your review just to show your support for the podcast Um, please share it if something resonates with you and if you've got any questions please get in touch with me on my instagram page at the marathon marcus or one word thank you for listening and keep running